Are you kidding? I'm a young rager from way back. It's not too bad. What was the question again? <laughs> okay, let's go. Hello, I'm Angela Caterns. And I'm Ian Rogerson. And we are... Suddenly Senior. Oh, my God. How did that happen? I am Suddenly Senior. What does that mean? Is it good? Is it bad? Well, we're navigating that, I think, with this program, aren't we? We're on a journey, Ian. Well, you know how much I hate that word, journey, but yes, I think we are on it. What's great is we're not alone, and it's lovely that you can come with us. That's right. And we'll present fabulous people to you, and they will give you some tips and insights about how they're handling this journey. <laughs> it's such a daggy word, isn't it? Trip. Let's go on yeah, a trip. Yeah, let's go on a trip. Yeah, baby. Oh, yeah. Now the we're talking. Yeah. So strap yourselves in, check your blood pressure, light your spliff, pour yourself a small bevy, and let's go. <laughs> <laughs> It's my great pleasure to welcome our next guest. Professor Ian Hickey is, I'd like to say, a bit of a guru, really, more than anything else. <laughs> Co-director of the Brain and Mind Institute at Sydney University. He's put out papers. He's written books. He's advocated for mental health. And let me tell you, for a show like ours, Suddenly Senior, mental health really means something. And it's our great pleasure to welcome him into the studio with us today. Ian, how are you? Well, wet and ageing successfully. Oh, that's good. That's very, very good. So could tell us a little bit about your life, Ian, where you grew up, what were some of the, you know, major events that made you who you are and what led you to a life in psychiatry? Well, Angela, that expects that there's a well-planned narrative to go with it. <laughs> there ain't. Actually, I'm in favour of an unplanned life, if anyone can arrange it. Yeah. I'm very fortunate to be part of a very large Catholic extended family, mm. middle child, if anyone hasn't noticed, no, very, no. very middle child, which it turns out in the world I'm in is a very good thing, <laughs> negotiating with lots of different personalities, lots of different groups, lots of different kind of structures, and also appreciating how being connected with the wider world. Uh, in that large Catholic family, actually two other things were strongly valued. One was education. So my dad was a professor of medicine, but um, here's a great story. His dad thought he should be a businessman. <laughs> I never met a man less suited to being a businessman in his whole life. <laughs> but fortunately, through education, he ended up at university and through university ended up in medicine. And so it's one that comes out of that group of, you know, first in your family mm-hmm. to go to university, but actually first in your family to value education. And in fact, he was lucky as a boy, he got to value education. His sister, who, who sadly died recently, she never got to go because she was a girl. Oh, you know, I, so we just – I say to my kids all the time, you don't realise the extent to which some things have changed mm. in a generation or two. And so where he would have otherwise been a hopeless businessman, probably failed, he got into a profession. And the thing about that profession thing, there was a value of education and then there's a value of social contribution. Like if you're fortunate enough – to have that opportunity, then you should do something with it. This is a terrible thing, you know. So if we lie around and do nothing, they make us feel bad about it. <laughs> so I've been yeah. trying to work out a way to relax the rest of my life. Have you achieved that? No. <laughs> right. right. Well, actually, this is an interesting thing. I achieve it through activity, through mm. being engaged. When people go on about work-life balance, to me that implies when they go to work they're doing something mindless, hopeless, just waiting to get out of there. <laughs> Yes, exactly. To do something useful. And I say this in relation to ageing because people go, when I retire, Mm. I'm going to think. So one of my favourite lines is, never retire. Because if you aren't doing something useful now, change what you do, perhaps. Change change the Mm. way in which you engage, look at different kind of roles as you age, sure. But the idea you're going to retire, lie on a beach on the Gold Coast, which has been washed away, and be happy 
is mm. untrue. Do you know? So, right. Well, I mean, but but then there are those people who work down the mine, you know, who have to trudge off to work day in and day out, and they look forward to a sunny, beautiful future when they do retire. So historically, when we've had a lot of those kinds of jobs, certain kinds of production jobs, certain sorts of hard physical labour jobs, actually men who do those jobs, because they've mainly been done by men historically, they are clapped out and had it by the time they're 40. Yeah. They're burned they're not out. by 65. They've mm-hmm. actually physically mm-hmm. had it long mm-hmm. before that. And you see this in the disability supports and payouts. So the idea that they even get to 65, because 65 goes back to the Napoleonic age, which is a great idea for government because only 3% of the population ever got there. Yeah. <laughs> so we can afford retirement ages, pay the pension. Well, I've often said that so many times, you know, that the thing is we live too long these days. Not long, not long enough. No, but on, I'm man. not dead yet. I get I'm that. I'm not dead yet. I get that. But, but at the same time, the system is not really prepared for us to have those wonderful golden years. The it's- system is entirely unprepared. And so, as you know, I work for a university, marvellously public institution, and let's just say I've tipped over into what they call preservation age. Ah. The superannuation industry refers to me as having reached preservation age. I think we at Sydney University have many excellent museums. So I think I'm going to arrive and be stuffed one day, insulted, <laughs> and put and in preserved, the yes. preserved professor. <laughs> in a big jar. I've been stuffed for years. So I'd like... Pops down for me from the preserving industry, superannuation. He goes, now, Ian, in retirement, I went, get out of here. I'm not retiring. You know, what income will you need from retirement, mm. blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah. I said, look, I've got children, grandchildren. I've got expenses. I've only just started to get good mm. <laughs> at what I'm at. Mm. I'm not retiring. None of that. Oh, cognitively, my brain will wither. It will shrink if I retire, if I actually go. I said, go away. And he goes, but you're, you're, you're not understanding we have built a whole financial and social system based on the fact that you should go away. So is that true? Does you does your brain shrink, really and truly? When you retire, when you stop. So this is not age-dependent. So um, one has a marvellous opportunity when one's academic. I was in um, actually in Switzerland with a bunch of French researchers and talking about retirement. As They, they said, oh, it's marvellously French because we can retire as they used to at 55, forget mm-hmm. 65. Mm-hmm. The French yeah. have a life to lead. Yeah. You know, work is That's unnecessary. Right. <laughs> this is just getting in the way That's of right. my baguette. Exactly. They've got cheese to eat, <laughs> wine to drink. There's lunch. I mean, you know, work gets in the way of lunch for the French. So he said, we studied their brain function at age 55. What happens to them in the year and two subsequently? Mm-hmm. Guess what? They can't remember anything. They can't do anything. Their cognitive function immediately declines. Mm. In the next year. And if you go brain image them, their brain shrinks. So actually these nerve connections, and I'm making funny things with my fingers here, that depend on activity every day, they start to go, well, there's nothing to do. They start to shrink. So yeah. their brain starts at 55. Now, we study young people who end up in unemployment due to mental health problems and other things who yeah. go out of work when they're 25. Guess what? Same thing. Same happens. thing. So it's not actually an age-dependent phenomena, which everyone thinks. It's actually an engagement-dependent phenomena. It can happen to you at any age. When well, you disengage. That totally worries me now because I think of the last couple of years of pandemic when everybody's been locked down or shut out or lost their jobs or whatever has gone on, have has there been a societal level of cognitive decline then from people who haven't been as active as they were beforehand and stuck at home? No, I don't want to get into political commentary here, but I think some pretty dumb things have happened. But, yes, to some degree. Now, of course, people have done other things. They've had to be mm. inventive. 
massive use of technology to stay engaged through work, through education, through connecting with each other. But undoubtedly, we have missed the social real life because the hardest thing to read in the world is a face. Yeah. And sorry, slightly harder, two or three faces in the same room at the same time, is group interactions, is other things. So that from a brain point of view, that's incredibly important. And the problem solving that goes with that, the social interaction goes with that. And also, it's fabulously good for our mental health to be in those social situations. So the pandemic has been incredibly challenging from a cognitive point of view. And of course, many older people have been most affected because they've been told, yeah, <laughs> stay at home. Up, don't see the grandchildren. Yeah. Mm. The virus will kill you. And, and that's been a serious problem because it has been a very serious problem mm. for older people. So the degree of social isolation for the my group, the grandparent age, the parent age, very bad. Mm. Can we talk a bit about cognitive decline, Ian, dementia? It's one of the biggest fears I think all of us have around getting older and ageing. Can we prevent it? Can we slow its arrival? Well, the first thing to say is many people believe it is inevitable when you age. It's not. Most people who age will not dement. Now, let's be clear about that. Okay, so one of the problems historically is we've collected the brains from people who've died of particular illnesses no. rather than from normal people, if you like, who mm. didn't. Decline. And that led to the kind of thing, oh, well, inevitably the brain shrinks with age. It doesn't actually inevitably shrink. It changes in some particular functions. There are age-related illnesses. So there are illnesses that become more common as you age. Mm-hmm. So Alzheimer's disease being one kind of dementia, vascular dementia another now because it's a blood vessel thing. Mm. So those illnesses, like arthritis, do become more common. So in older people you see more. So some percentage of the population, about 20%, is going to have significant cognitive decline, not because they're old but because they've got an illness. Right. Now, which ones are those that are preventable at the moment? That was going to be my question, Ian. Yeah, so the vascular <laughs> one, people talk about Alzheimer's disease all the time, but actually just as common or more common in our society is the blood vessel-related one. The vascular blood one. pressure, all those yeah. sorts of things. So if you've been taking care of yourself, oh, I've gotten past this now, if I had been taking care of myself in my 50s and 40s and reduced my blood pressure and uh, certainly got rid of smoking and didn't get diabetes, and whatever, I'd be reducing the vascular impact Blood vessel changes on the brain as you go. And less likely to have a stroke or less likely to have then actually that one is more and more preventable. And actually, not just cognitive decline, but late life depression, one of my favourite topics, mm. is large. A lot of it is due to the same blood vessel change. Oh, so so that the, one, the depression is yeah. connected with the, the shutdown of your system. Okay, Ian, big, big news here. Your brain does drive your behaviour. And uh-huh. depression that comes on for the first time when you age, is much more likely to have an explanation like vascular disease Mm -hmm. than some other social factor. We all think it's social factor, but it's actually, it's the opposite. Young people get depressed much more often than old people for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Right? If you're ever going to get depressed, it's going to be They get depressed while they're talking to old people sometimes, don't they? (laughs) No, we're the bright ones. We're the chirpy ones. Look, don't make a fuss about that. You know, relationship breakdowns, they happen. Lose your job, they happen. We're used to it. Yeah. So actually, older people have a phenomena called psychological immunisation, right? We've had this stuff happen to us before, Mm -hmm. and we survive. Mm -hmm. And we go, okay, look, it's bad, but you'll get over it. Or we'll adapt. We'll do other things. So actually, the rates of onset of depression go down with age, not up. That's really interesting. How do you prevent vascular disease? Blood pressure lowering. Quit smoking. Just <laughs> if I go on and on here, I am the son of a cardiologist. Just mm. don't smoke. 
Okay. But beyond that then, reduce actually uh, blood pressure, treat diabetes, exercise and activity becomes really important. Your sleep-wake cycle is really important mm-hmm. in maintaining this kind of thing. So a, being active, eating well, treating other problems, treating heart disease if you've got it as well. These are all things, and that's actually been happening in the population. Well, we and sort of know these things, don't we? And yet, you know, a lot of people as they age get, uh, get you know, cognitive decline, don't they? So the other one, Alzheimer's disease, which is a different process, the preventability of that remains controversial. We don't know whether we can prevent that. So there's a whole lot of cognitive decline we probably can prevent. Others, we're not so sure. And there's a bit of a chicken and egg argument mm. because all the dementias, for example, that change your sleep-wake cycle, I, the, people and, stop sleeping and then they don't get active and mm, then they all mm. sorts of other stuff happen, which then you get a cascade of bad things. So even if you've got one of their bad things, what you keep doing may matter. The sleep-wake cycle is a very interesting one because it's it's something that's impacted me particularly over the last, let's just say the last month or so. Uh, I'd gotten into a habit uh, of having a few bevies in the evening for quite a period of time. <laughs> I won't get into how detailed. Uh, but I've thought, I'm going to cut back. I'm going to you know definitely have a few days of the week where I'm not going to drink. I'm going to have a sober evening. Everything's going to be sweet as a nut. Try to get to sleep. It's very difficult. When you're completely sober, I don't go to sleep the same way I slip into unconsciousness after I've had a few bevies. Right. Do you have an hour spare? Because this oh, is, is such like an that, important topic. Right? Mm, yeah. real, well, well, actually, during COVID, mm. home-based alcohol use went up. Okay, so don't feel Robinson Crusoe on mm. that. A lot of people drank at home and they drank in the evenings. And what happens then is they fall asleep in front of the television, right? Mm-hmm. And so alcohol has a sedating effect, and in early evening or midday, people go off to sleep. Then your blood alcohol goes down. You metabolize it. And guess what happens? You wake, wake up. up. <laughs> right. So you've changed the sleep-wake cycle away from the intrinsic hormone melatonin, which normally puts you to sleep, in favor of the one you've just been taking, alcohol instead. But it has an on-off effect, and it disrupts normal sleep patterns a lot. So if you want to uh, drink, Ian, join my group. It's a rosé for lunch. Okay. All right, start early. This is very heartening. <laughs> now, the French go back to work after lunch. Okay, right. so, you know, yeah. it's a small amount, but, yeah. but then yeah. they're active and then they're awake. And the evening period is a very bad time to have a few, as you put it. Oh. Right? Because then the later that you have it, the more disruption. So then when you stop, mm. where's your normal sleep wake cycle pattern gone? That's right. Where's the melatonin gone that was normally driving us? It's gone out from somewhere else. What about pot? Is that better for you as you age, Ian? Oh, dear, oh, dear. Everyone of my age, right? You can tell people's age, can't they? You know, because <laughs> growing up, I remember this one to for a start. What about herb? <laughs> my siblings used to all argue with my father because he loved a whiskey, you know, yeah. in the evening. After work, relax, mm. whiskey, blah, blah, blah. And they all wanted to smoke pot. And they go, that's terrible, whatever. And they go, what about your alcohol? So people of our age mm-hmm. just want to get a hold of that cannabis again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Preferably medicinally, well, only, only for medicinal purposes. Purely for recreational purposes. And, and edibly rather than smoking it. Mm. Yes, yeah, so they become health conscious, yes. They'd rather ingest <laughs> it, it now than smoke it. Well, mm. mostly. They'd prefer. But because it's anxiety reducing, okay, so alcohol is too. Yeah. And many people who can't go to sleep are very anxious, including older people. So they're worrying about going to sleep, but they're worrying about the day, they're worrying about the grandchildren, they're worrying about everything. And they relax. And when you relax, you're more likely to go to sleep. So that bit happens, but same problem. Okay, it works 
to do that while you've ingested it and then it wears off. But it, what it's doing is it's suppressing or supplanting the intrinsic system. Right. So, the, so again, is it a case of the big fat joint about lunchtime? It's probably the best idea to go with. I'm just wondering out of that. I think we agreed it was ingesting in small <laughs> amounts. With the, I think. with the glass of rosé. <laughs> well, if you're worried about your sleep-wake cycle, yeah. don't do any of these things in the evening. Now, Ian. And, 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 and oh, actually, I should get further clarification here. There are other hormones that come on in the afternoon, erexin, that wake you up in the afternoon. Now, here I'm in favour of the siesta. Yeah. Okay, so brief periods of resting in the middle of the day. How brief? Less than half an hour. Mm-hmm. Mm. The two-hour snooze kills you. You wake up feeling like death yeah. Yeah. and you never recover. Uh, yeah. But the half-hour snooze, particularly, um, you said about this month, when you have very high humidity and long days, mm. it's quite difficult in, to go to sleep early in the evening and if you were Spanish or whatever, you'd know this. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So it's half an hour mm-hmm. in the middle of the day because mm-hmm. there's a natural cortisol low at that point. And you've woken up from the daytime. Don't snooze at 10 in the morning. So it's about 1 in the afternoon. And it's about half an hour. And then you perk up and then this thing called orexin comes on in the afternoon. And then so you what comes on? Orexin. Orexin. Yeah, I know. O-rexin. It sounded like another word, it, which does come on sometimes in the afternoon, but that's because another story. there are new drugs. Now, when we come to medication, there's mine and yours, okay? Yeah. You've chosen alcohol and Angela's mm. chosen cannabis. Mm. I'm choosing melatonin <laughs> no, you, and anti-orexin drugs. Okay? Right, there okay. Are, there are Who's having more funny? And this is a question. This is a problem. Yes. Because the cannabis one, the medicinal cannabis, doesn't have the THC that you were looking for from kiddie days. So yeah. people go, I took this from stuff. From kiddie days, It's yeah. not the same at all. No. I go, exactly, it's not the same at all. You're just getting the medicinal bit and not the fun bit. Alcohol is just alcohol, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah. and, and so I just just back to the question about pot. Is it bad for your brain? Is it, you know, ba- worse than, mar- uh, than alcohol? alcohol? Oh, that is such a complicated question. Alcohol is worse. On most measures... Now, this is complicated because a small amount of alcohol on a daily basis has never been shown to be a big problem. Right. But the trouble is you can't say that in a public health way, right? right. We end up saying, no, you shouldn't, you know, just reduce and then stop. Yes. And you're sort of, you know, like simplistic public health drives me a bit nuts because lots of people enjoy the pleasure of alcohol and mm. in, the, in the cannabis world, same thing. Don't small keep pointing at me. He does it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm pointing at the screen here. I'm pointing at the <laughs> yeah, that's right. Apparently there are many people out there who have to take small amounts of substances that relieve anxiety, mm. make them feel better, they're more sociable, and they go, look, really, is that a big health problem? No. Yeah. It's the higher daily use and when you interfere with something like your sleep-wake cycle mm-hmm. or you do, I think mm-hmm. that's, that's when it's where a the problem. problem yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Now, Ian, uh, look uh, – you're going to be coming back many different times on the program because we've only just sliced this apple. Just <laughs> We've got the skin off it, but we're starting to get to the important stuff. A couple of quick things I want to find out from you. How are you dealing with Suddenly Senior? You know, what are the real benefits? What are, what are the things, that the gifts you've had from this? The gifts. Now, I do first thing in the morning wonder about the gifts, you know, because <laughs> getting out of bed... <laughs> You know, it's hard. Uh, I'm quite like my father in certain respects, and now I've got his arthritis. You know, he's got a bit of arthritis, mm. bit of this. People I'm very close to go, oh, you're a bit slow. <laughs> I go, what? Aww. In the head or in the body or what? And then they go, oh, well, in the body. Yes, well, at my 60 something ish, no, I probably can't play first class cricket anymore and I can't do certain other things. And so your motor performance slows down. And you need to be actually interesting thing. You need to be careful about it. You need to keep doing balancing things. You need to keep doing things. You need to stay physically active. And do you do that? I try, but I'm not very good at it. But it doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) I never was very good at it. I mean, so I can accept that. But the things that I'm better at, I'm really good at. 
So in the efficient use of time, the things I think about through experience and whatever else, and of course, because of my seniority in the particular profession I'm in, I have much greater flexibility about yeah. that, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't, oh, every time I see someone of my age or someone else taking care of a small child, like re-parenting, let's oh, just not get into that. I, I, just, I met one the other day, I went, that's so nice for you. <laughs> <laughs> but my kids are growing, except for almost, growing up, and I'm really enjoying being part of the world in a growing up kind of way, I'm dying for COVID to be over and travel and be part of that and part of really interesting things mm-hmm. that I have serious expertise in or knowledge of in a particular way. And in a really good way, I'm more impatient for change than ever. You oh, know, I'm more impatient great. to actually engage with the stuff that matters. I'm, some might say I'm more impatient and more irritable with the things that don't matter. Yeah. Do you find yourself in the position, Ian, of having to um, parent elderly parents? We've been through that in my family and it's not been easy. And it's a very difficult transaction for many people who've got – and, of course, <laughs> Ian said they live too long. I don't think they live too long. I like the fact that my parents lived mm. very long lives. Mm. It depends on quality of life, though. Right. Because I've been through right. that as well. And it's that fine balance. Are they comfortable? And how do you feel about moving you know, old people out of their homes and into nursing homes? So – What's really important to your age is the quality of care, that you get the care that you need. So this is often broken into sort of nursing homes, many of which are poor care, as things have been highlighted by the Royal Commission, so people don't get the care they need, uh, versus at home getting the care they need. But there are, there are two sides to this. Many people in their own homes are very isolated, right? They're mm. on their own yeah. a lot, a lot of the time. And they say, I'm in my own home, but I've got nobody here. Mm. And my kids are all busy and they're all busy and Empty no one ever sees yeah. me and I'm there and I'm not connected. And because of mobility problems in other areas, they're actually really isolated. So we've ended up in this sort of dilemma, I think, societally. I've said to my kids, because they've also said to me, many of them, we are not taking care of you. <laughs> I said, I hope you have the financial resources because I don't really want you to take care of me. I want people who are good at it. <laughs> first yeah. second, second, I want you to send me to a hilltop village in Italy. And I want to be wheeled out into the square every morning, a little blanket over me, and mm. I want to participate in, in the life. a little espresso? Well, more than one. And then a little Aperol after lunch. Yes. When the sun goes down, then you can take me in. Oh. But I want to be part of a society, a group, where actually I'm part of the day. And I'm not in the kind of worlds we're in, which have got these contrasts. When, and I don't think we're meeting the care needs in either our nursing home type environments or retirement villages or in much of our home-based care. Wow. Uh, Professor Ian Hickey, can you take us with you to your Italian village <laughs> yes, when you go? Because right. I'll come with you. <laughs> just, a, just a small cross-on for me. Um, it's such a pleasure having you. Will you come back? Of course. I mean, where else can I indulge myself in this way as we all <laughs> thrive? Delightfully indulged. No, thank you age. so much for sharing your expertise. It's been fascinating. Thanks, Ian. Please like and also subscribe. Thank you for listening. I'm Angela Caterns. I'm Ian Rogerson. Leave a comment, as long as it's nice. <laughs> if it's not, that's right. fuck off. Yes. See you next time, Ange. Bye. And I want wine with my meds. Yes. <laughs>